It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Vef. And yeah, we're in a little bit of a different setup. We are all in Moscow, um, four of us. And I am joined by Matthew Barrett. How's it going? Hello, everyone. Andrew Flint. Hello, guys. And Thomas Farines. Hello again. Yeah, all in Moscow, one place at the World Cup. It's been... Um, Bit of a remarkable experience here the last... How many days do we have now? 20, this is day 21, right, Matt? I've lost in day, region... <laughs> You're in Moscow. State of mind. <laughs> I believe I'm in Moscow, living living the dream. Yeah, this, this is actually one of uh, my favorite places in Moscow because, I mean, I took Andrew here last year at the Confed Cup and uh, this is the, the Bolka Bakery. Um, close to Beloruskaya, so if you want for a good breakfast, what is it called again, Andrew? Franglish, Franglish, Franglish. Yes, the best sandwich ever. It is about 2,000 calories, so um, <laughs> once you had that, you will not need another meal here. I guarantee you that, but it is it is pretty incredible. Uh, I mean, I, I saw Thomas's eyes when the thing was arrived, and uh, <laughs> Thomas, tell us all your sandwich experience. I thought this was a football podcast, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, on a serious note, it's the size of both my arms. Oh my god, it was it was amazing. It was just like it wasn't what I expected. And well, I guess it's not really Russian food, is it? I'm pretty sure this is a Russian thing. What big breakfast? I thought that was American. Yeah, a, a Russian take on an American <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> but yeah, you're quite right, Thomas. Let's talk about the football. Um, and I really wanna. Before we go into all the results and all that other stuff, I want to ask each one of you some of the experiences that I had and really take it from there. And I want to start with you, Matt, because you're with Goal Click. And if you don't know what Goal Click is, please go online and check it out. Um, so you had, a, this is your first time in Russia, right? Second time. Second time in Russia. But you're doing a photo project and that was also one of the reasons why you're here. So um, tell us about your experience of this tournament. So, yes, as you said, Manu, um, Goal Click is a football photography project and we've been doing a big Russian project over the last six months where we found uh, Russian photographers and fans from all over the country, from Nizhny Novgorod to Volgograd and Kazan to Kaliningrad, and getting them to document the real Russia um, ahead of the tournament. Um, and, yeah, it's been really brilliant being over here and 
and having a chance to meet quite a few of them who um, who took part in the project at the exhibition we've been putting on, and also went to Yekaterinburg with um, two of them, and had quite an amazing time watching Mexico versus Sweden, which in itself was a slightly bizarre game given both sets of fans were very happy at a 3-0 Mexican defeat um, and spent the last five minutes of the game on their smartphones checking to see North Korea beating the Germans. South Korea. Oh, did I say North Korea? It's slight difference. I mean, it's a slight difference. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, maybe I hope for United Korea one day and it's just a slip of the tongue. Um, so, Yekaterinburg was an astonishing experience because I think whereas Moscow and St. Petersburg are used to the influx of um, visitors and tourists, it was clear that Yekaterinburg isn't and the local Russian fans were really out in force and really taking in the spectacle and lining the streets and it was the energy in the city was, was, was brilliant um, so that was uh, a wonderful start to it and then obviously since since I've been in Moscow um, the Russian match against Spain was like nothing I've ever experienced anywhere at any sporting <laughs> event in any country and enough is you mean oh it was it was eight, 120 minutes of non-stop delirium uh, and then obviously football's coming home. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so all in all, it's been a great experience in Russia, and um, I do feel very happy that we documented what the real Russia was like in advance of the tournament, rather than waiting until we got here to have misconceptions altered. I, I have one question, and I think this question is on everyone's mind. It's the most important question that we all had ahead of the tournament. It is such a groundbreaking question. How were the two weird stands at the Katerinburg Stadium? <laughs> Amazing. They are beautiful. They are works of art. And I'll be sad to see them go. I sat in one of those stands. It was uh, slightly terrifying when you thought too hard about it. And when the Mexican fans were jumping up and down, you did suddenly appreciate how far in the air you were. Um, but aesthetically, I think that stadium was beautiful. I think that it's been done intelligently in the fact that it's not created a huge white elephant. Um, I think Yekaterinburg really is a bit of a standout story, success story of this World Cup. Um, and yeah, the stands were a real experience to be part of. I like, I feel personally that Yekaterinburg, because we had so many conceptions about this World Cup ahead of time, and it's such a great metaphor for how we try to find the negatives rather than the positives. And I wrote an article on footballground.com about how the stadium is actually a very good idea because they never, and I mean, Andrew, you are at Yekaterinburg Stadium all the time how that stadium is never going to be filled with 35,000 seats and having having the mobile stands will allow, to, I think it's 25,000 after the tournament, right? Uh, I think 25 or 23, but it, I mean even that is going to be too much but it's a lot more manageable. Yeah. Like like you say man, it's it's a success story of just basic sensible planning. Um, I mean, I, I actually, I used to go to the, the old training ground to watch the Premier League games while the Centralny was being redeveloped. So I've only seen the Centralny once or twice, but it's, it's got a very unique shape to it. 
the stands when the when the temporary ones are taken away it's got the facade that's a listed building it's got a lot of character to it and and the fact that that is going to be preserved afterwards is a major plus mm. so I'm, I'm I'm pretty pleased with how they've planned I just want to add maybe one detail. I've, I've uh, found out that what they're going to do with those stands is that they're actually going to build potentially two stadiums in the, in the, in the smaller towns that previous, that lack a football stadium at the moment. So they're going to actually turn Ekaterinburg into potentially two other stadiums. This is, this is really interesting you say that and that's not something I, I knew. Um, obviously GoClick has been following grassroots football in Russia and looking at the investment in infrastructure in football as a whole in Russia away from the big cities and the host stadiums and the infrastructure that goes around that and I think one of the things that we've picked up on through the project uh, is this real divide between town and countryside which is mirrored in a lot of other nations around the world right now um, and that is a great story that there will be at least some investment into more local grassroots um, stadiums which sadly are not going to be touched by this World Cup and I'm, I don't necessarily think it's the World Cup's role to do that it's the start of a conversation how Russian football is structured um, but obviously Katerinburg seems to be our favourite example of at least some kind of legacy That's, I think it's a very good point but I want to kind of move this conversation on from Yekaterinburg, um, which is the furthest east in this country that the World Cup was staged, to Andrew's experience talking about the furthest east, because he started the furthest east and he has been on the road. I think it's best you explain what you have actually been doing during this World Cup, because it's, it sounds mental. Yeah, I'm not even entirely sure myself half the time, but yeah, no, I'm be I've been driving around the World Cup to every host city, starting in Siberia. I went down to Sochi in Manu. I saw you there. Um, then to Kaliningrad, which meant going through Latvia, Lithuania, back into Russia. What's the distance there? Uh, oh, blimey! Just to put this into perspective. So far, in total, it's been nine and a half thousand kilometers, um, and it's a lot of that is just endless roads but you know the point is i actually am seeing a lot of the country i will see more of the country than most russians probably will ever see and that's not an exaggeration the the shame is i don't get to stop and spend more time there and go to the games themselves that would be great but yeah i've um i've been a long way um is some of the things i've had to do just to get by have been fairly challenging um I will confirm I have had a shower by the side of the motorway from the water dripping off an old Soviet bus stop. That is the depths I've been reduced to. But it's meant I've stayed alive. Um, I've got here. I'm here in Moscow and um, moving on again soon. Where are you up to next? Sarant's tonight. Possibly, and this is a 1% possibility, possibly then to Samara, if I can somehow source a ticket to the quarter-final there. I'm not expecting that, but it's that's the beauty of being in the car. So tickets are actually going for £415 at the moment, I hear, um, $600. So if you have that amount, then... <laughs> yeah, okay, I won't be going to Samara then. <laughs> but um, I want to go back to your experience of driving. Because you said you probably will see more of this country than most Russians will. What has been the thing that struck you the most 
driving around this very big country. I mean, this this is the world's largest country by landmass. I mean, in this period, this is the largest country in the world. Um, what sort of the things that struck you? I mean, you only really seen the the World Cup side of the country because that only covers about a third of the landmass of Russia, right? <laughs> Which is that, I don't want to diminish your your no, driving no, record no, because no, I'm no, just no, saying um, <laughs> this country is is huge. Um, what are some of the things that really struck you? I think um, I think my favorite thing that I noticed was right in the south on the way to Sochi driving from Krasnodar to Sochi you drive through these little villages um, that I mean they, they have no significance other than being near major cities but the way they the way they are organised is just absolutely absolutely breathtaking the mountain roads wind round there's hardly any space next to the road before it drops off into the Black Sea and yet there were spaces public spaces still built into a quite ridiculous terrain there was a football pitch on the bend of a road overlooking the Black Sea which is probably one of the most stunning places you could play football in I mean I'm talking in a football context but just driving through these places it made me realize and this is something I firmly believe one thing that Russia does brilliantly is its use of public spaces um, not just in big cities but in places where just the terrain makes it very difficult and that that is something I love. It's something I've always loved about this country. It's why I love. It's why I live here. It's why I've stayed here. Um, and I think that's probably what struck me the most. There, are, there is a lot of change going on. Some of the roads are terrible, but most of them, most of them are not so bad anymore. <laughs> yeah, there was one road. Okay, I've got to get this off my chest. From Samara to Saratov. The road there was so bad that the quickest drivers would only go 20 kilometers an hour. I, I actually didn't even have my foot on the accelerator. That is how slowly I had to go because of the bumps in the road. But once you overlook that, there are plenty, there's plenty of good to see. And I think that's probably what stuck out the most from, just from the visual side from, from driving. So yeah, those roads outside Sochi. I, 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 I am amazed. Um, I'm just absolutely amazed at what you have undertaken and uh, what you're still going to undertake. You also have to drive back to Tumen. Actually, uh, that, is, that, is, that is one thing I do want to mention. Everybody's focusing on the World Cup, and rightly so, but for me, the best challenge I'm looking forward to is the day of the World Cup is the 15th of July. On the 17th of July, the Russian domestic season starts again in Tumen, and I will be, I know you're, you're clasping your head in your hands right now. World Cup final will finish, two hours later I will set off, and I will go straight to the Geolog Stadium before I even go home to see my family. Football first. He's got a wife and two kids. At least he thinks he does. They might be gone by the time he finally gets home. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, <laughs> I want to go to my next guest, Thomas Farines. What has your experience been? Because you've been to a lot of games. You followed Portugal and now and Brazil and now Uruguay. Uh, no, not, not no. So but not anymore. Oh, okay. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this, guys. We'll talk about this. Guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm a modern football fan. <laughs> modern football. Tell me, tell me, what's your experience been like here? Oh wow, I love Georgian food. <laughs> yes. This is yeah. not a food podcast. Oh, again, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But this is about this is about things that the, the experience. Yeah, it's experience. So the experience I've had. I mean, I it's the second year that I come to Russia. I worked in the Confederations Cup last year. 
and I had the chance of being in three fantastic cities, which obviously Moscow, where uh, where we are today, Saint Petersburg, which is I had the chance to go back there for one day where we met, and Kazan, and I'm really sad that instead of going to Kazan again, I had to go to Saransk. Oh my God. Oh my God! Lovely, Thomas. No, it's not. No, it's not. I don't care what you say. It's not. Like there's. I love Russia. I've, I've literally, I've, I found. Okay, it's a bit too distant, uh, inside the city to go from one place to another. It, sometimes it's a bit challenging because I don't speak the language, and I understand that it's my fault for not speaking the language. But I mean. Like Saransk was the only bad experience I had, it, it, but it was a, a bad experience from A to Z. Like from the hotel to the staff to <laughs> trying to get food. And man, how come on the day of a game, where, which is the city receives like forty thousand people, the hotel had his kitchen and bar closed at eleven? Is that that's not what you expect? Go on, ask me questions. I have not, <laughs> I, I got questions now. Of course, Saransk is the smallest World Cup city, right? Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, 260,000 people live there? About this? Just over 300,000. About, okay, 300,000. Yeah, that's, um, I, I will get to that, we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> my question, or other question was, other than the things that you listed about, um, is it really that terrible of a city? You I mean, ma you're making okay. a face. Okay. <laughs> How do I describe my face? I mean, it, the experience was bad, but the city itself has some parts that are cute. Like, it's not an ugly city. It's not like uh, you're, uh, I don't know, Preston or whatever in North <laughs> England. <laughs> Santa here. I actually flew via Chelyabinsk. Uh, went on the way to Yekaterinburg and that's I think where the meteor hit a few years yes, ago yes, um, that wasn't a beautiful city but a very important city but not a beautiful city <laughs> I, I've been to Chelyabinsk and I can confirm that it's truly an ugly city well actually I'll just chip in on the Chelyabinsk part that was the first night I spent in my car and at night time it's very nice <laughs> The big wheel is lit up and you can't see any of the ugly buildings. I it's lovely. You can't see anything. Yeah. As you're saying to me, it's, it's nice at night. Okay, well, I'm sure we can yeah, make, turn this into a metaphor or something. But let's talk about Saran some more. Yeah, but I, I honestly, like, I don't believe anything that Andrew Fitt says. He just said that, like, oh, but Saransk is lovely. It's not. It's okay. It's an okay city. I mean, it... In, in my opinion, it's one of the cities that I might not have given the, the World Cup to because it doesn't have like, it's, it's like Manaus, uh, Cuiaba and other cities in Brazil that were chosen. They were chosen for political reasons, not because of like a, a, a city that has like so, a sort of a big football experience. I mean, hopefully both Sochi and um, Saransk developed their football over the next few years but we've seen the previous history in Brazil the stadiums are being used as car parks or are being used for delocalized games so Botafogo, Flamengo, Vasco, Corinthians all have played in Manaus, in Brasilia, in, in Cuiabá for what reason? I don't know, the stadium is not even full To be fair, Saransk had a first division team when they got the tournament awarded I mean, they're not in the first division. One, but they were, that's true. That's they're true. now in the... Yeah, they've, been they've been promoted. 
Well, well, Only two the second tier. Though. Yeah, do the second tier. Um, well, of course, we'll talk about... I think that's a story for a podcast about half yeah. year's time when we yeah. talk about what's going on with all those stadiums. I, I like Sochi. I think Sochi is a great place. And I actually... You said it as a Brazilian. Brazilian. But it's too humid. It, it, that's the problem. Like, And you have to walk. And you walk for 500 meters and you're already like sweating as if there's no tomorrow. It's worse than Rio, man. See, and, and the temperature was like 30 degrees. I cannot believe that I'm saying that, that I'm complaining about warm weather, especially after living in England. <laughs> but yeah, I am complaining. See, I think I was, I was born uh, a Brazilian because I love it. I just, I, I, <laughs> I, I love it when it's hot and humid. I mean, anything below 20 degrees is like winter for me, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, please remove, like, you've been supporting the wrong teams. You're saying that football is coming home now as well. Please don't say you're Brazilian. You can say that you're from, I don't know, Suriname, French Guiana, Colombia, whatever you want, but not that you're Brazilian, especially as a German. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll go get to that topic as well. Um, so, yeah, so all around, would you say good World Cup experience? Yeah. Wonderful World Cup experience, and one that for me was never really in doubt. Uh, I mean, we've spoken, Manu, a lot about um, my. Um, I've come as a fan as well as obviously running an exhibition during the tournament here in Moscow and my own experience of trying to enlist other English fans to come to the tournament was not a fruitful one. Um, nobody from my country seemed to want to come to Russia um, for a number of reasons but not least um, some fear that there would be incidents involving fans uh, and hooligans um, and racist incidents uh, at the tournament. Um, having been to Russia before, I didn't believe that was going to be the case and I think everyone who has come from any country has had an excellent tournament experience and um, it's been a success both on the field and off the field. I think that's actually a very good next topic. The And we chatted about this before the podcast. We've chatted. I mean, media has chatted um, about this quite a bit too. I, I was recently on Twitter and discussing this with Rory Smith from the New York Times. It's, it's a good thread online, actually. With uh, James Montagu was involved as well, um, Elliot Rothwell as well. I mean, there was a good b bunch of people that have spent a lot of time on this topic. And this, the fact that media sometimes misses the boat on discussing a government and throwing in its people into the conversation because yes I mean Russia is involved in Syria it's involved in Ukraine it um, doesn't have the best human rights record in the world these are all facts that's you know it's something that we cannot deny and there's things that we point out often on this podcast but at the same time as a person having traveled here for a very very long time I mean this is 15 years now that I've been traveling here or living here I've never, as a person, had a bad experience. I've been always treated very well as a person in this country. So for me, I think that one of the big problems ahead of the tournament that I had with the media discussing this tournament is that there was almost like they couldn't divide the government's action to how people are in the country. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, all, it's all very natural. This is nothing new. Um, <coughs> countries are often personified by their leadership. Um, media needs to obviously sell newspapers and, and gain clicks and interesting stories and Russian tournament set to be beautiful 
an enjoyable experience will not do that. So I don't think we should be too surprised or even too hard mm. on media who need to generate a livelihood by writing interesting and provoking stories. However, it is a shame that so many people seemingly with the exception of all the South American countries, um, have actually travelled in force um, to experience what has been a really great World Cup with great weather, with great fans. And do you know what? We, we, we have had debates on this as well. I sense the same thing might happen in four years' time. Yeah. Um, but you, you address a very good point. Can you write compelling stories about a country while being critical? And this is something, I mean, we try on Football Grad, we're trying to be critical, but at the same time also say, look, this is actually also a great place to experience. Isn't that supposed to be the goal? Isn't, okay, and I, I go with, to you, Andrew, isn't the goal of media reporting on a host nation to, yes, address the negatives, but B, also make sure that you can sort of also at the same time stress yeah isn't that the point because at the same time you want to say okay look these are the issues and you should be aware of the issues when you come but at the same time come because you coming there and going there and talking to the people and being there will actually help address those issues more than you staying away oh, I, absolutely I think I mean it's an absolute no-brainer I like exactly what you guys have just said you need to you need to differentiate between what a media's responsibility is over a period of time assessing a country about the well, you, you mentioned human rights records massive racism and homophobia that is an essential part of journalism but when you're putting it in the context of come to this country or not it's an entirely different thing because fans don't come to a country for a month based on its human rights records they come on their experience how they will be treated and i'm, I'm fully aware and i'm i'm not denying this at all i'm fully aware that large parts of russian society will be making extra effort to put on a more positive show because there are visitors here but that's just a natural thing anywhere in any context of course they will do and of course it's going to be slightly different to a long-term view but the media's build-up in the context of the world cup wasn't able to differentiate between those two things and that's what i think that's what you were saying manu you're saying you've got to be critical for long-term problems you cannot brush over them but in terms of a personal experience, they didn't report that. They reported for long-term issues that were bothering them. And that's, that's, that's the problem I had. Um, what I'm actually most pleased about, though, and what we've all experienced, and what, as far as I'm aware, 99% of people who have come here, if not 100% have experienced, is they've actually opened their eyes. And the whole point for me of a World Cup is not to find who is the best footballing country. You can get a ranking system to decide who's the best country. It's the experience of bringing people together. I don't want to be too kumbaya about this, but it is, it is what has happened. I've seen, I've seen a, a Colombian child on Metro last night and a Japanese man, she, she, the, the child was upset. The Japanese man took out a little model of Zabivaka, the mascot, gave it to the child and tried to comfort the child. A Jap Japanese man helping a Colombian child in Russia. I mean, people are starting to see. There's It's not, a start. There's not many other things in the world, and I'm not just sport, in the world right now, which have the ability to do this. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that the thing to guard against is isolation. Yeah. And I think that um, there is a danger that when you 
start to blur the lines between all the things we've just been saying that the only logical outcome is isolation of peoples and the World Cup weirdly for all the elements that can be unattractive about it uh, is one of the last remaining um, places where a world comes together in a supranational organisation, albeit with a healthy, do healthy dose of nationalism, um, but we make it work as a as a as a whole. Yeah. I kind of like to see it as a global bonfire. You all been to bonfires. We all sit around a bonfire. It's a place where you where you have differences, but you also discuss them, and uh, you share. Usually, you also share food. Um, and it's, but it's, you know, we talk a lot about food in this podcast. It's my fault, it's my fault. I blame only myself because I have the appetite of an, I don't know, mammoth or something. I can confirm this. But it is, um, it is, it is, it is a little, I see it almost like it's a bonfire because it is not just the countries that are in the tournament that are coming. Usually it is, it is a very global phenomenon. It's people that are not participating, they also come and, um, experience the country and experience the games and experience, I mean, when you go to Nikolskaya Street every evening here, it's a huge mingling of different fan groups, of different tourists. I mean, this country has never seen anything like it. And of course, Nikolskaya is is an interesting place because Nikolskaya, of course, starts in front of the Lubyanka prison where um, people used to be shot, right? Um, so it's it's just this like really kind of bizarre kind of mix of things um, that raises a awareness of each other. And B also makes people stop and con contemplate each other, um, but also discuss things and lay things into the open. And do you know what the most important thing is, is that, yes, it's all fine for us to be here and say that we've seen it, but it's actually a small amount of people who are here. What's most important is that it filters back to all the other countries, and actually I think that has happened. I think when we go back to our respective countries, I hope that the impression given of the World Cup is exactly how we're describing it. Otherwise, we've just been in our own little bubble, yeah. experiencing a nice little event that we're privileged to be at, um, and it's made no difference. Yeah, I, I actually, from from what I've from what I've gleaned from my friends who are back home, we were talking a little bit about this before. Is 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 very much that. I am concerned again, like you say, Matt, that my view of who I'm experiencing this from is blinkered in a way that it's the people I've already associated with, so yeah. they're already likely to share the same views. But I'm, I'm yet to see certainly any significant feedback of just how dreadful the place is. So, I mean, it, it, you're right about it filtering back. The long-term effect of it, um, it really genuinely could have one of the biggest, and I mean this seriously, the biggest legacies of a World Cup in, in my living memory because there's so much change that does need to happen but not just in Russia other people viewing Russia and this is the starting point It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, but, I mean, Russia isn't the only country in the world that I ha that we should have issues with. And 
earlier we were talking about like war and like Russians involvement in Syria and everything but aren't Great Britain France Germany also involved there so would we would we talk about boycotts uh, Fo- a football event in, in such place and the thing is like Brazil the, the World Cup before that in Brazil there was a lot of issues like communities were completely displaced and attacked by the police in order to make space for FIFA and did we ever talk about boycotting no we're, we're, we choose the, the places that we like or, or dislike and unfortunately I really hope that people that didn't come to Russia um have the regret of having lost a great World Cup in my opinion I mean also I don't have a lot of things to compare the the only play the only time that I actually went to a World Cup uh, game was in Russia so <laughs> I'm pretty biased anyway but uh, I have to say that uh, last year broke a lot of my the the conceived ideas I had uh, from from just listening to media and that's also something that I'm quite glad that I, I have I had the chance of coming, but I also had the chance of questioning the information, and that's what we should always do: not accept like information as as the the only truth. There's several truths. Yes, there's issues, but we have to remember that like there's also a population, and I've I've I'm happy to say that like 99% of my experience with the local population has been great. Always trying to help, even when there's like no way of communicating as I said and I repeat again I think that communication is the, the most important thing and sometimes it's, it's just funny because as you know I have a tattoo in my arm of Brazil like, it's Latin America but you can basically see Brazil is the biggest part and everyone stops me and starts naming players of Brazil and uh, <laughs> and I love it I love it and it just it just makes me smile because it, it means that like it doesn't matter where you're from you you always can communicate true football in, in, in different ways. Like we always, I mean, from my work, I always say that football can be played without sharing the same language. But I think that supporting uh, a football team also can be shared. The experience of supporting a team can be shared without uh, exchanging in, in the same language. And I think that's the beauty of the World Cup. I don't think it's even supporting a team. It's just knowing the other teams or knowing some of the players. I mean, I, I bet you a lot of people that pointed at your Brazil tattoo or your South America tattoo weren't even supporting Brazil, but they know the players and they know, you know, yeah, they might support a player because they play for their favorite club. So, you know, naming, I mean, this is, this is such a common game. How often have I been in a long train journey in this country and you end up talking about this player and that player and the great club he played at and you know that that's such a I, I feel like that's that is such a um, yeah. such a typical football phenomena isn't it uh, I think speaking of football we should talk about the football and let's talk about the, exactly <laughs> let's talk about that first can, can I start then no we'll, we'll talk about the things that are realistic afterwards uh, is it coming home boys Matt is it coming home is the, Italy, the World Cup going to Italy where it was made oh I mean sorry the game where it was invented in England or, or where it was originally won in Uruguay um, <laughs> <laughs> or the country that has won the most all of these things are all valid points, but none of you have a song as good as ours. So, good point. It's a very good point. Um, it's still, do you know what? Twenty-two years later, it's still an amazing song. It, it is. could, it it is could be written. It could be song. written today. Great memories of that tournament. Yeah, too. Well, I bet you do. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, song, so. yes, yesterday. Uh, 
was a classic tournament football. <laughs> it, it wasn't necessarily pretty. Uh, it was a bit cagey. It was high quality in places, but fairly low quality in others. And an England team often loses those matches. Like, let's also be completely realistic here. When those matches happen like they happen, England normally lose them. So we can debate formations and personnel, and as I'm sure we will, but there is a hint of toughness about this English setup, and a, they're comfortable with themselves and they believe in themselves, which I haven't seen for a long time. And so, regardless of the players and regardless of the tactics and the setup, which I think this World Cup is showing as increasingly immaterial because the teams are so even and clearly players don't have long enough to get used to each other, it really does come down to a bit of luck, very small factors and some mental resilience that the Belgians showed, that the Russians showed, that the English showed and that the Germans didn't show. And and the Swedish showed it. And, and the teams that are progressing, there is a narrative forming where in those crunch moments, they may not be the better team, but they get the job done. Um, and that's tournament football, and that's why we love it. And, you know, the atmosphere around the England fans finally came out last night. And, again, we have nothing to fear from Sweden. Um, Sweden will say they have nothing to fear from us. Um, and then we'll see England-Russia in the semi-final, which will be the beautiful game that we all wanted from a year ago and we could never have imagined. Um, I'm glad you brought up Germany because that is the, a lot of the attributes that you just named used to be typical German qualities and that's why they have been so successful at so many tournaments, right? Even if they did not necessarily have the best team. Uh, it's interesting that when they did bring the best team, they didn't show any of those other qualities that were necessary to win this tournament because, I mean, I think still man by man, that was the most quality side at this tournament, but, you know, they didn't show that resilience. And, I mean, how many England teams did we have in the past where we thought, okay, this is a great side, but they were all individuals doing their own thing. There was a coach that was doing their own thing. This seems to be a very German England side in the sense that they uh, they just get on and do the job rather than being and I mean this I think there's huge limitations in this in this team and I saw those limitations yesterday uh, but at the same time I mean you see the same very same limitations with Sweden and Russia all the teams that are on their side of the bracket maybe not Croatia that could be a big stumbling block but is that maybe the biggest attribute of this the site? There was something very revealing last night that I haven't seen much of the post-game analysis, so forgive me if this has already been said a lot or, or maybe it's a new point. The 20 minutes where England looked woefully shaky and about to cave in were when Dyer came on and we changed shape and we went to Darren Henderson in the midfield and for the first time in the whole tournament we weren't playing Southgate's preferred system that they've all got very used to and then as soon as Carl Walker was injured and Dyer dropped back into the back three and Rashford came on in the Deli Alley role we went back to the England team operating in the system that it now knows how to play so there is some merit in um, keeping things very simple for people yeah. and players being comfortable in systems that they don't have to think 
as hard about and, and feel unnatural in. Um, so I think this team, if it plays the way that Gareth Southgate wants them to play, I think actually <laughs> the limitations of the players are are secondary to that. I, I actually, I, I strongly agree with, with your point, Matt, because tournament football, I really do think tactics are secondary. I mean, you can't, you can't deny tactics in football are important, but in tournament football, the mental characteristics are by far the most important thing. I mean, man, you, you're absolutely right. The German side is just absolutely wonderful technically and you know Joachim Lowe what, what he's going to do after the tournament or not personally in my opinion he should stay I don't see what the point is in a knee-jerk reaction and you know that's see that that is a good thing and this is why as an England fan I'm I'm sort of I'm I'm a better kind of positive usually we get swept along by the whole all oh, right this is going to be our tournament but I actually genuinely feel that we're not getting ahead of, ahead of ourselves. I'm not expecting to win it, but I genuinely think this is a is a young side, and like Matt says, they're comfortable in a system that gets the best out of them. They're not necessarily the best players, but the whole setup and the way Southgate has managed them, and I think Southgate as a manager, I I didn't see this coming, but he is about the most ideal person to do the job he's got to do, and he is actually really popular so after the game yesterday oh, he can he not be the nice well, man he can, but that, that doesn't normally mean you're popular in England yeah. um, you yeah. know Roy Hodgson was a nice man and you know mm. anyway um, he came out last night after the game um, about 20 minutes after while the England fans were still singing and the fans sang the Southgate song and he reciprocated and the England players came out and joined in with some of the songs mm. that is what we associate with Iceland and yeah. that is what we associate with all these teams that have a strong bond between the players and the fans yeah. and the media and for the first time ever that feels like it's happening yeah absolutely it's, it's not something we're used to but it's look I mean we can we can debate for a long time about the you know the technical ability of the England side to win tournaments but it's the mental side and the mental side at the moment is the most refreshing it's been for some time I mean Sweden it doesn't mean we won't come a cropper against Sweden no yeah. absolutely I'm just, just about to say the, the, the Swedish fans I saw in Sochi um, before the Germany-Sweden game and they were just they were just there's so much intense energy around all of them and that that is infectious whether the players are physically there or not whether they read about it doesn't matter you will get that impression and it's not so much of a fervour but it's a genuine cathartic feeling as an England fan and whatever we do at this World Cup I will be happy now it's already a success yep. yeah. even if it doesn't come home fully it's already a success and I, I think that's that's something I said to maybe cap this off because before the podcast we spoke uh, on I think it was the episode two of the World Cup podcast that we did where I said like look this this English side will go further I didn't think they would win it still they haven't won it yet. They haven't won it yet. I don't think. I don't think they but, will. But, you but they, they will might be playing Germany and Spain. <laughs> no, but I also I also thought that they would do quarterfinal or semifinal, and I, I that's that's on record because I think they, they, it felt different this time because there wasn't that stupid media hype about them than you usually see, and I think that is a really essential part of tournament success. The, the Germans got that wrong before this tournament because they were high overall hyping their own team. And um, I want to get to you in a minute there, Thomas, because I think your side is getting that wrong too in a certain extent, Brazil. Because there is a little bit of uh, that sense. Do you think that, you know, I mean, that is, you see it less with France, but more with Brazil, that there is almost a sense of entitlement to this title? 
we deserve it. <laughs> what? We have we have to make the wrongs after a certain result in the last World Cup. <laughs> it's not even that we deserve it. it it's like this team needs to prove the, uh, something to themselves. If you beat Belgium and France, you definitely do deserve it. Yeah, if if yeah, or or Belgium and Uruguay. We'll see. We'll see. I'm. I, the what, thing what is, is like, the, what's the mental side of things? Because you do see all this the sideshow of Neymar and you know players uh, falling, breaking down in tears again. Neymar. Uh, what, what's the what's the, the the mental aspects like in this team? He can cry as much as he wants, because I mean, okay. First of all, I, I, regarding Neymar, there's something I want to I want to say. Yes, he he falls a lot, and he should be criticized by this. But and he's been criticized a lot, even by especially by some some English media as well. But what really bothers me is like in this World Cup, every single country has divers. With the in yesterday we saw, we saw it. a dive last night. Yeah, yeah, we saw we saw a lot of dives last night, and we don't get so much on on the on that like it's always Neymar Neymar falling okay yes he falls and yeah. it's spectacular like I will the, 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 it's amazing the, the one that he fell on the side I think it was against Serbia it was beautiful so there is a difference I think between what we've seen from Pepe and Neymar versus diving in order accentuating a challenge in a penalty box yeah, yeah, sure sure <laughs> sure but you know Harry Kane has been manhandled this entire tournament and maybe if he'd been given penalties in the first game he wouldn't need to resort to that kind of thing but anyway. so is Neymar yeah, when Neymar, when Neymar is the most forward player in this tournament, yeah. but when, statistically, but I understand. Like, I'm I'm not defending Neymar, and I also don't like the style of play. But I, I just don't like the fact that it it goes only one way. And in, in my opinion, I think that like Brazil has um, it, it doesn't have the best team ever. I think of Brazil teams. We talked about it a lot. Yeah, but. They do s seem to be in a better mental place than they were four years ago, and I think that's thanks to Tite. Tite is a really good coach and very good motivator as well. And you can sense the solidarity between all the players, and they're f they're fighting. And I mean, yes, like there were some tensions between Neymar and Thiago Silva on the second game uh, against Costa Rica but I mean the pressure on Neymar is as well is huge mm. because it's the, it's the same pressure that Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi have but in the difference that he plays in a slightly better league so he has the, I don't know I think that for me the, 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 the way that Brazil is playing is more collective than four years ago and it means that they will do better. And in my opinion, my honest opinion, if Belgium plays a 3-4-3 against Brazil with their back three, they're going to get battered. There's no other way. And they, they can try to, to come back like they did against Japan, but Brazil is in Japan. We're stronger behind. I would be more worried about France. Yeah. What do you mean? France-Uruguay or France-Brazil? France-Brazil. Oh yeah, then the legs will shake. <laughs> the legs will shake because we haven't won against France in how many years? Since 58, 82? I don't remember. It's been I, like I don't I, even. I, I wasn't born. That's I for would, sure. I, and I, you said this before the tournament, but I think it's now France's to lose. I, I I actually agree. I mean, they 
there's a, there's the stereotype of French teams not having the mental strength, and it comes back to the mental aspect. But for me, the reason I took France initially, and I, I was consistent about that, is just that their talent is just so explosive that even if only two or three of them turn up on a day, you just need Kylian Mbappé to have what for him is a standard level game, and he can produce two or three match-winning moments. Um, but they also have a backline playing largely in in a strong league. I mean, Pavard, I don't know as well, but my God, his strike, his, his half-volley, um, he's technically very sound. Whether mentally he is, I can't comment on that, but they, you know, Umtiti, they have Hernandez, they have... Um, Varane, I mean, yeah. you know, these are playing top, these are top level defenders. And two God have goalkeepers as well. The, the goalkeeper is, you know, they, they have a, on, on paper, it's, for me, it's a no brainer. They yeah. have an unbeatable yeah. side on paper. That's why it's theirs to lose now, right? It's, it's theirs to lose if they can hold it together. And I know, I know Deschamps has come under a lot of criticism, but this is one thing I will say in his favour. He is a drilled, organised, mind, he may not be the most expansive, he may not play the style that everybody wants to see him play, but he has won championships, he's won titles, and I think mentally he might might just about be able to do it. I see you, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. I, can, I can see you sitting next to me and going, yeah, no, but, 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 but. <laughs> no, 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 it's not that, I actually agree, the uh, show is very pragmatic, right, and in a way, I think that it is France to lose, Not really, because, I mean, in a way, against Argentina, uh, if Argentina had scored a slightly earlier, like, France, after the fourth goal, they just stopped completely. They just stopped. There was nothing else. They were, they, they were attacking and then back passing to the goalkeeper. And, I mean, if you do that against, against this side of Argentina, it's okay. I mean, they did concede a goal in the last minute, but they conceded in the last minute. If you're winning 4-2 against Brazil and you do that with 30 minutes to go, it's not going to end well for you. But I see this very same limitations of Brazil. Yeah, but it, it, exactly. It's a problem that, that they have, and I think that it's not a limitation from France. It's the problem of the pragmatism of the coach. It's the coach that wants... like. To, to just if you have the result, just stay with the result. And actually, if you have if you have a team that has the striking power as France, you cannot stop attacking. You can't. It has to be until the end because if not, if you keep back passing, at some point, chances happen, and and then you leave like players. In the case of France, Argentina, you leave players like Aguero, Messi, Di Maria having chances and. These are not like not uh, third. No, how much? Look at look at Di Maria's goal. He was alone, alone. Yeah. And French players, all the French players know him. He plays in France for how many years now? They all know him. They left him alone once. He scored. Yeah. No, so, it's a good point. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's the balance that I think needs to be struck. Can Deschamps do that? That's the big question. Yeah, he, And I, I I don't know. You you may you know him better than I do. I'm sure, Thomas. But I think. If he can strike that balance, and it's a big if, then I think it's almost a certainty in my mind for mm -hmm. France. And that's a big if, I must stress. But that's um, a tournament football. Yeah. I, I want to move on to a team that can defend. Defended very well for 120 minutes. Uh, the only goal that they did concede was a wrestling match between Sergei Ignacev and Sergio Ramos. There is there is something in there. Um, Russia. 
You talked about it in the beginning as being the one of the, the greatest experiences in stadium-wise. Um, I I was at the match too. I wrote the match report for footballguard.com and um, it's tried to also reflect the experience. For me, that match between Russia and Spain, we all thought there was something in it for Russia because of the way Spain played, like that constantly pass, 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 and Russia being so... Their running numbers have been incredible. Um and if you don't get quite tired, right, Spain t- tries to tire out your oppos- opponents, um, then that, that passing game doesn't really work. My worry about that game was, and I saw a lot of that happening at the Lushniki, is that if the opponent scores first, the stadium will go somewhat quiet. And I think I wrote in the, the match report is, it felt almost... It felt almost apprehensive. There was almost an anxiety above, above the Russia fans. It, it, it was quite, there's like almost like tension. And every time Russia got the ball, it was like this, this roar. It was almost like a pop concert it's whenever there's, yeah, it's a frenzy. It was a frenzy. Um, it was, as I said, like nothing I've ever seen before. I, I think just as a point on our preview podcast for the tournament, um, I remember saying that hopes for the tournament were Russia to get out of the group. Um, and to go far because tournaments are always better with the host nation involved. Yeah. There was a wonderful moment last night when the Colombian fans were all singing, the English fans tried, and then there was a big Russia chant as well. Like <laughs> every game in the World yeah. Cup. Like yeah. they, I mean, I think that it's, it's when you're playing at home and you have so many tickets, like, I'm, I mean, the, the Portugal games, all the ones I've attended, it's ridiculous. Yeah. There's all, I mean, it's understandable, but that's another discussion. But what I would say is like, normally is, uh, against Morocco and against Iran, it was 70%, uh, of the stadium Russian, 25 of the, the other team, so Morocco or, or, or Iran, and then 5% or less, it was like the Portuguese fans. The running numbers you talked about, mm-hmm. obviously, I think it was, what, 133 versus 146? 146 for Russia, Yeah, 136 for Spain. Is that extreme difference? Well, given that that's... No, that it's feels, not. That's pretty natural. They, they, they no, should, it's not. And um, there has been a lot talked about this, that this is, uh, let's say, just may name it, that this is a sign of doping. I don't see it's that. not, because Germany's running numbers were similar. Yeah. And so were Australia's. And Australia, of course, has, is one of the other countries that have a history of state institutionalized doping with their, their, their uh, training center that they have. Um, the training center that they have that was built by East German, um, trainers, right? In, I think it's in Melbourne, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes, I mean, at the same time, um, there was a sport, um, a sport medicine specialist that came on and one of the I can't remember it was one of the countless articles I wrote I read for a piece that I was researching um, and he said it's actually that's doable without special training Golovin runs 16 kilometers over 120 minutes he's like he's, these these people are athletes and yes Chechesov has a history of getting his teams very fit which again brings us back to tournament mentality fit teams go very far I mean, it's the, the other the other side of it, the very simple nature of it, is that Russia are not a team that regularly have the majority of possession. They quite often are the ones literally chasing the game. And actually, one thing I like about how Tchesov has prepared the Russian side is that I've, I've noticed the way that they that they press, and a lot of teams probably do something very similar. But he he clearly gives them instructions to press very intensely for a very short period of time, and if you don't win it, then then drop quite deep. 
but st- even with that, they're still having to run a lot. As in, not just because of the word that should not be mentioned was mentioned. Um, so no one actually mentioned it. It's, it's just that the numbers were short. well. The, the number the numbers are high for a number of reasons, and the very obvious one is that Russia have to run. They're not a side that regularly hold possession, but they are managing that lack of control of the ball, if you like, reasonably well. But it, if you see the the teams that have the most possession, they're all out. Like yeah. Spain is out, Germany is out, Argentina is out. So very wide. we. We have to also think again of like how like how productive is possession. It's not like only Absolutely. possession for possession. And in my opinion, I think that like athletes have to run, and that that's what we should expect of them. Mm-hmm. If there's doping, then like I mean, all the, the there's definitely there's a difference between like illegal doping and legal doping. Like for example, let's take a, an example from another sport cycling in cycling you're allowed to have like caffeine and caffeine boosts your energy and gives you more energy so it means it's legalized doping so if you take a tablet of caffeine or if you take like a liter of coffee before playing football well you'll have a bad time because <laughs> because you'll need to go no 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 it's a, it's a diuretic you'll need to go to, to pee during the game but it will enhance your performance Do you know, and is it doping is it not doping Tom, it really interested you say that about about caffeine because that's interesting. Is something that Arsene Wenger introduced in English football when he arrived in the 1990s. He used to give the players at halftime sugar cubes soaked in coffee. That was something Paul Merson said. He said, "I couldn't understand what was going on." Wait, let us do that too. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's any edge you can gain an advantage to it if it's within the rules. I'm not saying I have no idea if teams do that nowadays, but it's certainly something that has been done. Yeah, but I mean, it's like as well for getting back to cycling because it's also a sport I follow quite often. Like before training for a big, big, yeah, big, a big stage, like Tour de France or whatever, they go on training in in the mountain for three weeks mm. so that they they are used and they, they, so it's it's a natural doping. But I, and I think that this happens in all the sports. And uh, frankly, I don't think that Russians have done anything different than any other of the other teams. And it's just that like we like to. Uh, it's like Rocky and uh, the, the Soviet. Uh, I forgot his Ivan name. Ivan Drago. Ivan Drago. Like it's <laughs> the, the good and the bad, and we tend to like to put uh, Russia in in this bracket. But we know that in the U.S. Athlete, athletes have doped before, and in Russia as well. But now it's just a way of selling clicks. Yeah. Let's uh, let's sum this up. How far will this Russia side go? Semi-final Semi-final against England Semi-final against England So a final then I think Croatia is going to win Yeah Uh, That's what what I think I think it will be Croatia against one of the big boys in the final But they could do it They could do it Absolutely But I think that In my opinion I believe that Croatia has more of a Well they have a big boy squad before being a big boy Yeah They have this team is so deep and against Denmark as a team like that would have been a, a game where they would usually have been eliminated they well, you say something very nice always what do they have Thomas in Spanish Grinta yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> yes they have a lot of Grinta and yeah. I, I like the side yeah. I would like I mean 
forget that I'm Brazilian, but I would love to see Croatia win the yeah. World Cup or in any other country someone that, that hasn't. Yeah, someone new. Someone new. Someone who has no star. That's so England, because no, they, they stole. No, but they won the last one uh, by an illegal goal, right? Because it wasn't Russian, goal. Because of Russian assistance. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was from, uh, he was from Azerbaijan. Yeah. Yeah. Soviet that is a great conclusion to this podcast, guys. Um, I'm going to just hand around the phone so you guys can all tell me what you do and where they can find you. I start with you, Matt. So, as I said, Goal Click, Global Football Photography Project. You can find us on goal-click.com, at goalclick on Instagram, and at goal underscore click on Twitter. Lots of goals, lots of clicks. <laughs> Andrew? Um, yeah, so I'm, my thing I'm doing is driving around the World Cup. You can follow, uh, at Ronnie Dog Football, F-U-T-B-O-L on Twitter and you can see all my videos, um, of how I'm getting on and how I'm surviving along the way. My only Twitter is at Andrew M-I-J Flint and I'll put some personal updates in there as well. Thomas? It seems that I'm the most boring one. You just can follow me on Thomas Farinis uh, on every single social media. No difference between any. It's okay. But you're on footballgrad.com? Yeah, I'm on footballgrad.com and I also, I'm running a project in Greece uh, called Aniko. So you can follow that at weareaniko.com uh, and we are Aniko on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's uh, the we're doing integration through football. And you, Manu, uh, where can we find you? <laughs> yeah, I was described as Mr. Football Grad yesterday. Of course, that's not true. There's lots of people involved in, at Football Grad, including all of you in one capacity or another. So yeah, you can, you can find this podcast at Football Grad Live. And then you can find me at Manu Alvef. Um, I am off to Sochi next, Russia, Croatia. So that's the, going to be covered. I've taken the train, guys. 24 hours on the train. I'm not alone. I'm with Robert Ostian. That's uh, going to be very nice. Um, so Can I make an impression of him on the podcast? No, you cannot. <laughs> so yeah, um, follow me at Manuel Web and follow the everything that we do. is going to be at Football Grad Live. Well, that's it from this week. We'll probably speak again between semi-finals in the final. Until then, das Vedanje. if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time? Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.